As I started to plan for this episode, I had a really good topic in mind. I was prepping my notes, I was getting ready to get on the mic, and really talk about something that's really, really important to me. But then, as always, something in life pops up and directs our course another way. And also, often in life, that thing is death. Let's talk about grief. Welcome back in to another episode of Relatively Normal. I am your host, Mark Paisant. And thanks as always for joining me on this journey that we go on weekly, or at least that I go on weekly. And as you probably heard from the intro, um, some things took a, a course change this week, and I really wanted, I really had a good um, subject matter in line for this week. I thought about it for a long time, but we'll push it back one week and we'll discuss it next week. But um, I got an unfortunate email this week from a family friend and basically I was told that a dear, dear friend of mine was in hospice care. And this was a woman whose family um, welcomed uh, me into their home when I was in college, uh, actually myself and Andy Heck, who was a guest a few weeks ago, into their home when we were in college, when we were seniors. Um, we had a ton of meals with them. We actually had our graduation party Um with them and it it really stuck with me because when I'm walking into their house and I, I see this woman who I've had a very good relationship for most of my life in her final resting place while she's alive. It's it's we're a few days away and it's truly unfortunate and I get sick to my stomach just thinking about it. It immediately brought me back to that time that I walked into my mother's final resting spot when she was alive. Seeing her on her bed, not even on her bed, on a on a bed that the doctor's office had brought in um, with the oxygen there, unable to feed herself, almost in a vegetative state, but not there yet, unable to really speak, and all these feelings kept rushing back, because it was only 
a little over a year ago that I lost my mom. But grief for me is really different than I would assume grief for more people or for most people out there. What I mean by that is that with my anxiety, I try to prepare myself for everything. And I mean everything. Because the worst feeling in the world for me is to be unprepared for something. That's probably the reason I really am not a big fan of surprises, but um, I have difficult conversations in my head long before I ever have them in real life. I think of multiple options for difficult situations long before those situations ever pop up. And for most of the time, people see me as just a well-prepared individual. They don't think of the stress and anxiety I put on myself before I get to that spot. So as weird as this sounds, I was prepared for years for one of my parents to pass away. I had thought about it constantly for years. There were entire days where in my head, all I thought about was the day after one of my parents passes away. I thought about the grief there would be in my family. I thought about the pain and the suffering if one day my mother or my father wasn't here. I've done the same thing for my brother. I've done the same thing for my sister. I've done the same thing for my wife and my kids. And my kids are five and four years old. But I have played out in my head what I would do if something like that were to happen. And also what this does is it may make me seem cold or distant during the time of the death, or right before the death, or right after the death. Even at my mom's funeral, I didn't, um, I didn't cry. Other than one time where one of my friends walked in and I didn't know he'd be there with his family. I didn't cry at her viewing. I don't think I ever cried in front of somebody in my family other than my wife when I finally found out that my mother had cancer. And the reason why is because the entire time during the cancer diagnosis, the cancer treatment, When it finally took her, the preparation for the funeral, the funeral, all that stuff, I figured that I had to be the one that was strong for everybody else. No one said, Mark, you be the strong one. 
No one said, Mark, you have to be the one that holds it together for everyone else. But I told myself that. I convinced myself of that. There's two major times I broke down during my mom's illness and death. And that was once in front of my therapist when he figured it out. He saw it in me. He said, this guy's keeping everything in just so he can stay strong for everybody else. This is a safe space. Go ahead and let it out. And the first time I visited my mom after the diagnosis, and I was in their house, and I was staying in the room across from theirs, and I remember just the scared look on my mom's face and the worry in my dad's face. And I kept being supportive. Mom, it's going to be okay. Don't talk like that. We're going to figure this out. You're going to be just fine. I didn't know if any of that was true. It turned out it wasn't. But I was being the strong one. And then I went into the room I was sleeping in. And I cried like a baby for 30 minutes. Away from everybody else. I told myself, do this on your own time. But when you're around the family, you have to be the strong one for them. You know how your brother is. You know how your sister is. You know how your parents are. This is going to be an extremely tough time for this entire family. So one of us has to keep it together. Now here's the question. Would you ask anybody to do that? Would you tell anybody to do that? A family of five, if you're looking at it from the outside in, would you pick one person at family and say, listen, you're going to have to keep it together in front of everybody. I don't care what anybody else does. There's going to be crying. There's going to be sadness. There's going to be hurt feelings. There's going to be times of despair. But you have to be the one that cannot show weakness during this time. I would assume most people would answer no to that. You wouldn't ask anybody to do that. So here's the question. Why would I ask myself to do that? And here's where this gets a little interesting. I have done this for multiple people in my family. Multiple people who have come become a part of my family, including my wife and my kids. But I have not done this for anybody else in the world. So when I get a call from my best friend, a few years ago and his dad has passed away I cry when I get an email from a friend saying hey Mark go visit this lady and I see her possibly on her deathbed 
I immediately tear up. There's no one in that room that I ha- I'm forcing myself to be strong for. But when it comes to my family, there is an added responsibility that I put on myself that I have to be the strongest person in the world. No one can see me cry. No one can see me show any emotion. I have to be the strong one. And this is all about my anxiety about not being able to control everything. Controlling everything is something that out loud I know I can't do. But inside, I try to do daily. It's impossible. I know it's impossible. We all know it's impossible. But when there comes a moment that I can't control an outcome, that I can't control a feeling, my palms get sweaty, my mouth gets dry, and I just don't have the ability to think clearly. My mind races a million miles a minute. And just saying it out loud feels really good because it makes it real. It makes it tangible. And people living with, you know, anxiety and depression, they will do everything they can or they feel they can to get through situations or prepare for situations where at the end of the day, is that even possible? Can you specifically do anything and everything you can to predict and be ready for every situation life throws at you? The answer is no. But for all that's in me, I try. So, grief for me is two different levels, actually three different levels. One, of course, is people I don't know, people I really don't care about, people, you know, when when I hear about somebody dying, it doesn't really hit me that hard. Then there's the people that I'm, I'm close to, but they're not part of my family. And that grief hits me hard because I'm not preparing myself for it. And of course, there's the people that I love the most in the world. That grief hits me the hardest, but you would never know because I've been preparing myself for it for a long time. So again, I talk about maybe 
unnecessary stress, unnecessary anxiety that I put on myself that I don't put on any other person in the world. At no point would I ask my brother to be the strong one. At no point would I ask my sister to not show emotion because she's the oldest and she needs to take care of us. There was one time when my mother was having trouble getting around the house. And I was home for a few days helping my dad out. And we just stopped in the middle of the hallway and started to talk. And my dad broke down. And we're not small men. I'm 6'5", my dad's 6'4". But in my eyes, he's a giant. And I think most men, their fathers are giants. My dad is the strongest man I've ever known. He's a giant in my eyes. He's the greatest dad to ever live. That's how I think of my dad. I don't care what kind of celebrities there are out there. I don't care what kind of sports figures there are out there. The person I look up to the most in this world is my dad. And when he broke down and started crying on my shoulder, my thought was not, oh man, this is, this is worse than I thought. This, this God amongst men in my eyes is, is breaking down, being vulnerable. That wasn't the thought. My thought was, okay, this is more of a reason why I have to be the strong one and I can't show emotion because this has taken my dad. The emotion started in my mom and my sister, filtered down to my dad and my brother. Okay, everybody is taking this hard. Everybody is crying. Everybody is tearful and They're afraid of what could be this outcome. So guess who I have to be? I can't show emotion. I can't shed a tear. Especially when I'm around them, I have to be the one that holds this together. Why? Why? I can't answer that question. That's just how I'm built. That's just how my brain works. One thing, if you haven't noticed it yet, if you haven't, you know, talked to somebody with anxiety or depression, or if you haven't listened to any of these, and this is the first time you're tuning in, one thing you'll notice about me, which is true for a lot of people who suffer, is two things unfair expectations and unneeded extra pressure and stress. So, I can't answer the why. I never have been able to answer the why. But maybe me talking about it right now 
is just what I need. For me, just talking about all this is really helpful, and I hope it's for, you know helpful for you too. But there is something very important that I've learned about myself and about grieving over the past few months to a year. We've all lost somebody. When I was younger in high school, I lost my grandfather. When I was in my 20s, I lost my grandmother. A few days before the birth of my second child, I lost my uncle. And I remember trying to make myself feel a certain way constantly thinking was I showing enough emotion was I showing too much was I grieving the right way do people believe me that I'm grieving what excuses can I make up so I don't have to grieve what excuses can I make up so I'm allowed to grieve I had so many feelings going through my head on what I should be doing. And then I constantly had that feeling in my head that I wasn't doing enough. I felt extremely bad when my uncle passed due to pancreatic cancer because we were expecting our second child any day. And it was impossible for me to leave my wife and not be there for the birth of my second child. I just, I made that a priority and everyone understood. I, to this day, I feel horrible that I wasn't able to be at my uncle's funeral. I feel horrible I was never able to tell him goodbye. I do not feel bad that I missed the funeral because my child was born, but I feel extremely bad that I missed it. But one huge thing that I'm starting to learn, it's starting to come to me, is that there's no rule book on how to grieve. There's no rule book that tells you what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, what you can do, what you can't do. And for the most part, no one really judges you on the way that you grieve. I felt that I was being judged if I showed too much emotion. I felt that 
someone at some time was going to hold that against me. And in all fairness to myself, I did not bring this on by myself. The week that my grandmother passed away, I was actually traveling for work. And I had to fly out early to say bye to her one more time. And then I had to fly out a few days later for the funeral. And I wasn't in a good spot in my life at the time. I wasn't very happy. I was in a a low point. And I could have done a lot better for myself. I really could have, but I've learned not to judge that person. I've learned not to be so hard on that mark. But there was a conversation that I had with a person that I work with who was supposed to be training me, supposed to be getting me up to speed on what my future obligations would be. And he held my reaction to my grandmother's death against me. He was questioning my dedication to my job because he thought I wasn't fully invested based on me going through this traumatic event. And at the time, I didn't really give it that much attention. But the simple fact that I remember it 15 years later tells you a lot about that conversation I had with him. Tells you a lot about the things I held on in my life at that time. So, this is easier said than done. I'm I'm saying it out loud. I'm saying there is no right or wrong way to grieve. There is no pressure you should put on yourself to grieve the right way. There is no reason why you feel that you have to be the shoulder for everybody to lean on, the ear for everybody to to speak to. You don't have to be the person who holds everything together for your family. I can say that out loud. I can tell you that. I can truly tell myself that. But acting on it is something totally different. I still have trouble showing emotion when my family is reminiscing about my mom. I smile and laugh at the good times. But it's hard for me to shed a tear when I'm around my family because if they get emotional, I got to be the glue that holds everything together. Here's another question. What, What needs to be held together? 
family grieving. Seriously, what needs to be held together? Where is this pressure coming from? So, the reason I talk about this, the reason I'm putting it out there, this is, of course, very intimate for me. This is something very personal to me, something I really haven't shared with anybody. And a lot of the stuff on this podcast I haven't shared with anybody, but I, I'm, I'm done with, with not sharing because I know there's people out there who deal with the same stuff. But the reason I talk about it is because I want those people out there not just to understand what I'm going through or what I have gone through, but for people to know it is okay for things to happen that you haven't planned for. I know I don't have to plan and be prepared for everything. It's hard for me not to at least try to be prepared for it. I think as a professional, you know, in in our professional lives, you know, people do better when they're prepared. But here's the thing. When things pop up unexpectedly, those people who can navigate through that They can change plans. They can get through the maze of unexpected events. Those people do well also. Now, if you're a person that doesn't plan or prepare for anything and then you can't navigate through change, then there are some steps that you need to take to get better at one of those. But... From the longest time, I was trying to be that person who prepared for everything and was constantly grappling with change at the same time. And, and I wonder if you can see that like I see it because it, like, it doesn't make much sense to me. So when I'm at this person's bedside, when I'm talking to her, when I'm saying the last words I'm ever going to say to her, when I'm looking at her for the last time in my life, I feel extremely uneasy. And everyone probably listening is like, of course you do. Like, no one wants to be in this situation. That's terrible. Like, why, why do you feel you need to, you know, be calm or be cool in that situation? I understand that. But it's different It wasn't me just feeling that I was uneasy or uncomfortable. It was me feeling like I should have been comfortable or I should have been the person saying the right things. I should have been the person and making her last day on this earth as good as it can be. When in all honesty, just me and the people around her being next to her made her happy. There was no pressure involved. So, 
learning from what has happened in the past, learning from what things that are going to happen in the future. Let's just be crystal clear about this. We have no idea what tomorrow brings. We have no idea what next year brings. We have no idea what the future brings. So why in my head do I give so much of my present time trying to constantly prepare for a future that I have no control over? And there might be contrarians out there, and there always are, that say, well, listen, if you do the right things, if you plan and you do this accordingly, like, you'll know your future. You can predict it. It's, it's Yes, I understand all that. If I, if I save up $10,000 a year and put it under my bed so interest rates and banks can't touch it, and then in so many years I have this many thousands of dollars, yes, I understand that. But what if a fire burns down my house? What if someone comes in one day and steals it? What if anything of thousands of things that could happen, happen? That was a simple example, but the examples aren't always simple. I exercise almost every day. I could get an illness tomorrow. I know people who live into their 80s drinking and smoking every day of their lives. The only thing in this world that's guaranteed is that nothing is guaranteed. So before you start pressuring yourself to be prepared for everything, know this. I'm not pressuring you. No one else is pressuring you. Be nicer to yourself. This whole thing that I'm going through is just me trying to be nicer to myself, not expecting me to be better than everyone else in the world. So to everyone out there who has lost someone to cancer, who is struggling with cancer themselves, who is in remission, who has gone through cancer, who knows somebody with cancer, all I'm asking you to do is just be there for them and tell them how much they mean to you. If you're struggling with cancer, know that there's people out there who care about you. And if it's terminal, they're going to miss you. This world is not fair. But if we go into it knowing that, then I think we do ourselves a justice. If we think that life is fair, the world is fair, 
we get out of it always what we put into it. I don't think that does it any justice. I think it's better to be realistic about things. And I'm not saying to be pessimistic. I'm not saying to always be pragmatic. I'm not saying do any of those things. But what I'm saying is that know when life throws you a curveball, that doesn't mean you can't hit it. So, with that being said, I hope you guys listen next week. I believe I have a good topic to speak about. Um, But this week, I had to get this out here. I had to because a lot of emotions hit me at one time this weekend. And I wanted you to know about it. So, as always... Take care of yourselves. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. Relatively Normal is written, produced, and edited by me, Mark Paisan. And as always, if you or someone you know is in crisis, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. And throughout each of our lives, we will know someone who is affected by cancer. You can go to cancer.org to donate today. Because remember, donations save lives.